grab a seat. So he said, the path that I'm on is not the one that I would have chosen. I was meeting with a student a few weeks ago, grabbed lunch, was talking about life, and he's mentioning kind of his circumstances, not in crisis mode, but life wasn't great either. He said, the, the path that I'm on isn't the one that I would have chosen. That, that hit home for me. Have you ever felt that? Uh, I can remember distinctly a time in my life when I was on a path that I definitely, most certainly would not have chosen. Now, we'll call um, the girl that was involved, Julie, and we'll call the guy that was involved, Kyle Richter, okay? Um, Julie was a girl in, uh, was our friends. Uh, she was in our Christian community in college. Great girl, good personality, cute, all that. We realized that one day, independently of one another, both of us had moved from the friend zone to the more than friend zone. I remember having this conversation, and inside I go, oh no, I think he likes her. Oh no, what are we going to do? So, we're talking, and, and me being the good guy that I am, I say, all right, Kyle, clearly it sounds like, you know, you like her, I kind of like her too. Here's what we'll do. You go ahead, you got dibs, you said it first, you go ask her out. Me being the, the good guy that I am, in my mind, of course I know, yeah, yeah, right. She's not going to say yes to Kyle, she's going to say yes to me. She's putting the vibe out, she's flirting, you know, all those things. This is shoo-in, 100%. So the next day, I'm meeting with Ryan Wampler. He's my boss at the time. I was getting ready to go on Veritas staff, and we're meeting. And somehow Julie's name came up. <laughs> and, and he, he kind of stops, takes his glasses off. and goes, Yeah. So how are you feeling about Kyle and Julie dating? I said, what did you say? And he goes, oh, oh my gosh. He didn't know that I didn't know. And so I found out from him. I had no idea that she said yes to Kyle, you want to talk about a punch in the gut. You want to talk about being a path on a path that I would not have chosen for myself. My gut reaction was I was angry. I was bitter at Julie, at Kyle. I don't know who, everybody. I was envious. But it's fine. Kyle's my best, one of my best friends. We're both coming out Sabbath Veritas. Julie's great, but she wasn't worth, you know, blowing our whole friendship up over. So I get over it. Fine. A couple weeks. Fine. And, you know, Kyle and, and uh, Julie, they had their rough moments, but they stayed together for a while. Six months later, though, they, they come to a rough patch, and they don't recover. I'm talking to Kyle this whole time, you know, saying, Mass, I'm sorry, it's rough, what should you do? I don't know, I think I want to break up. They break up. This is at the end of a fall semester. Kyle uh, graduated, and he went to Europe for three weeks. I like that. I want that. Went to Europe for three weeks, so he's gone. Julie stays in town. It's over winter break. And winter break, when you're upperclassmen, there's nothing really to do, so close community. We start hanging out again, you know, friends going to lunch, whatever, we start going to call these, whatever, and then she sends me a text inviting me to a Mizzou basketball game. I go, hey, what's, who's going? She goes, oh, I thought just you and me could. I go, oh, no. <laughs> We've been here before. So I'm like, all right, fine, what should I do? I go to the game. Had a great time. And, and by the end of the game, I go, okay, this, yep, I got to have a conversation. Something's going on. We're back, you know, 2.0. So I have a conversation. I say, look, are you over Kyle? I know Kyle's over you. Are you over Kyle? She goes, yes. 100%, I'm over Kyle. Great. So if Facebook, if Facebook was around back then, we'd be Facebook official. We're dating. It's official. The next day, Kyle was back. I go to his house, hear about Europe. It was great. Oh, by the way, Kyle, Julie and I are dating. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. 
so, so he's like, cool, man. Great. Fine. Fine. All right. So I leave. I find out Julie goes over a few hours later. They're good friends. Again, friends. She wanted to hear about the Euro trip, and Kyle says this. Oh, by the way, I kind of changed my mind while I was in Europe. I want to give this thing another shot. You know what Julie says? She says, yeah, me too. <laughs> Let's try it again. I get a call at like 11.30 at night going, hey, Austin, um, we need to talk. So she comes over. We're going to walk. I get dumped again <laughs> by the same girl for the same guy who is nonetheless my best friend. Not a path that I would have chosen to be on. Fast forward. They broke up. I'm fine. We both have marriages. We're doing great. It's all good. Why do I tell the story? I'm on a path I wouldn't have chosen. What do you do when you realize you're on a path that you would not have chosen for yourself? If you're like me, your gut reaction is you want to get off. You want to do everything that you can to find another path. Now, that's not surprising, but it's telling. You see, that gut reaction reveals that there's a deeper problem going on. It, it reveals a problem of discontentment. We're not content. You see, contentment is sort of like a million dollars in cash. Everybody knows it's out there, but not a lot of people have actually seen it, experienced it. Everybody wants it, but not everybody knows where to find it. So according to Psychology Today, in the year 2000, there are about 50 or so books written that you could buy on how to find contentment, how to find happiness. By 2008, that number had jumped up to 4,000 books. 4,000. According to Google, in the last 10 years, searches for how do I find contentment and happiness, they have tripled. So everybody's looking for contentment. Everybody wants to know, how do I be content? What is the secret? We're asking that because we don't quite know where to find it. We're all on paths that we wouldn't have chosen. If you've been with us this semester, you know that we've been making our way through the book of Proverbs. And it's concerned with teaching us godly wisdom. Godly wisdom. You see, lots of people offer us wisdom and insight and advice. And God, he's no different. He knows we're looking for it, and he actually offers it to us in the Bible, particularly in the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the Old Testament, book of Proverbs. It's before the Psalms. And as you do that, we learn that God's word teaches us that wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. See, to grow in wisdom is not only to grow just in knowledge, but it's actually putting that knowledge to work. It involves our entire selves. It involves our hands, our heads, and our hearts, our whole being. So over this series, we've looked at the art of living well, the art of trusting, the art of working, the art of friendship. It's night, of course, we're talking about the art of contentment. Because God knows, he knows that we're on paths that we don't want to be on, that we would not have chosen. He knows we're not content. And so he's got something to say. So we've got to listen. So tonight, we're going we're gonna to look at one proverb, Proverb 14, verse 30. Proverbs 14, verse 30. Let's read it. <clears throat> A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So this proverb, it's found in a group of proverbs that offer kind of quick, pithy statements that compare and contrast two ways of living. You could do this, or you could do that. Now this particular proverb is concerned not so much with outward behavior, but more the inward motivations. More the heartfelt 
desires, more of what we want. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And it brings up something that, unfortunately, we're all too familiar with. We all know what it means to envy. We've all done it. You see, to envy somebody is to want, to crave, to demand that we are on that path, whatever that path is. You know, when we envy, we celebrate somebody else's failures. Maybe we voice it to somebody, or maybe we just think it in our minds. We're kind of glad that they failed. Or we are sad and depressed when somebody else succeeds. Because we want that to be us. We envy. We grow bitter towards people. We resent them. And God takes envy very seriously. He says it is a work of the flesh. So Galatians 5, it's up on the screen. The acts of the flesh are obvious. There's quite a list here. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. It's quite a list, and envy's on there. Psalm 73. The psalmist is confessing his sin before God. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, the psalmist is doing something that we all do. We, we compare paths. It's not wrong to take our eyes off our path. It's, it's fine to look at what other people are doing. But notice the switch. Notice the heart change. The psalmist is looking at that path and he wants it. He craves it. He has to have it. He envies that person on that path. He's making his life harder. Now, what, what about you? What form does your envy take? What path are you on that you want to get off and you want another one? You know, maybe, maybe you're single and you've been single for a while. And you look around at all these other people on paths that are in relationships and you're starting to, to envy them. You're growing bitter. You wonder why can't that be you? Maybe you're somebody who doesn't get a lot of respect from others. Nobody asks you your advice. Nobody listens to what you say. But you've got a friend or you've got a person. They're saying the exact same stuff and people are flocking to them. they got a huge following on Instagram. Everybody listens. They put to practice what they say. You're saying the same thing. What are you, chopped liver? Why doesn't anybody listen to me? For all my Harry Potter fans out there, you're the proverbial Ron Weasley. Thanks, Hannah. You're Ron Weasley. You are worried. You wonder, why doesn't anybody else look at me? Everybody's looking at Harry. Okay, uh, cliche Harry Potter reference. Let's move on. You know, maybe you're somebody who the word average pretty much sums up your life as a student, whether you're at Mizzou, whether you're at Moberly, Columbia College, wherever you go. You've got average grades. You've got an average internship. You've got an average job prospect. Not a lot of contacts. But then you look over there on that path. You see that person with the fast track to the top. They've got the best internship. They're going to be making a lot more money than you. And you know what? You want that to be you. That person stole your internship. That person took your chance, and now you resent them. Maybe you don't have the ideal body type, guys or girls. Wherever you see it, social media, a friend, image on a billboard, whatever, you see that, you look at yourself in your mirror and you go, what gives? In a recent uh, poll by the American Academy of Facial, Plastic, and Reconstructive Surgery, 64% of plastic surgeons, almost two-thirds of them, reported an increase in the use of cosmetic surgery or injectable treatments in patients, get this, under the age of 30. They said it's mostly attributed to the influence of social 
media. We could go on and on. Whatever it is, I know it's, I know it's there, but what's that path for you? What form does your envy take? But think about this. When you and I envy, there is zero satisfaction attached to that. You ever think about that? When we sit and we think about and we stew on others' paths, we get no satisfaction. Okay, here's a newsflash. I probably shouldn't say this because I'm a pastor. Sin sometimes feels good. Sometimes there's satisfaction associated with sin, but just a little bit. Getting drunk feels good for a little bit, and then it's gone. Gossiping about somebody feels good for a little bit because you're not focused on, but then it's gone. Envy, nothing. There's no satisfaction with envy, and it never gets better because we can never forget the paths that, we can, that we're on. We're never forgetting it. It always enslaves us. There's a pretty sad news story. A guy named Carl Erickson. He was a, a team manager of his high school football team. And the star quarterback was a guy named Norman Johnson. And one day, Norman decided to, to play a prank on Eric. He decided to gather the whole team around, hold him down, pull his jockstrap over his head, and have a good laugh, and beat the crap out of him with towels. You know what Eric did? Fifty years later, he found out where Norman Johnson lived, rang his doorbell, Norman opened the door, shot him, and killed him. They booked him, they took his fingerprints, took his mugshot, sat him down in the room, asked him why he did it. You know what he said? First thing he said, talked about what happened to him in high school. He held on to that. He held a grudge. He was bitter. He envied the success of Norman. He envied what happened to him. Envy enslaves. It will ruin our lives. Turns out that proverb is right. Envy will rot our bones. So if, if that's the problem, what's the, what's the solution? How do, we, how do we stay content? How do we look at others' paths and go, okay, that's fine for you, but for me, I'm going to be okay. How do we, how do we get that? Because we need it. Well, back to Proverbs 14.30. It says, a heart at peace gives life to the flesh. We need a heart that's at peace. One that's calm, one that's content to remain on that path. We need to be okay with others' success. We need to be actually rooting for them, genuinely happy that they are succeeding. They are doing well in life. It's being okay, not being the prettiest, not being the smartest, not being the most athletic, maybe being average in whatever area. Now, that's tough. It's tough in a world today that promotes the self. You've got to be your best. What's good about you? What are your strengths? It's hard to admit that, you know, yeah, maybe I'm not all that I'm cracked up to be. We need a heart like the Apostle Paul's. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content. Look what he's content with. Think about this list. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. How do you get that? Is this guy living on another planet? A guy named Henry Nouwen. We need a heart like Henry Nouwen. He's this renowned Catholic theologian. For 20 years, he taught at places like Notre Dame and Yale and Harvard Divinity. He was at the top of the academic world. Book signings, scholarly articles, people singing his praises. And then one day, you know what he decided to do? He decided to go work at a special needs home. It was called La Arche. You know what he did? He cleaned people. He brushed people's teeth. He fed them. If you've been to Jamaica at the infirmary, it's kind of like people like that. He served them. He did it in a quiet, out-of-the-way place. How, 
How do you do that? He's a guy who had a heart at peace. What did they know that we don't know? Here's what they knew. They focused less on their path and more on a person. They focused less on their path and they focused more on a person. We know this. There's lots of different paths. You can think about it however you want. Here's, here's how I think about it. I imagine I come into some huge room and there's two doors. One door, Mizzou Arena crowd, packed, jam-packed. They are screaming my name. They want to hear me. They want to sing my praises. I am the center of that path. I'm going to be respected. I'm going to be valued. I'm going to be sought after. But then there's this other door. It's, it's like the little dinky room in Middlebush. Fine rooms. Great place. Glad we have them. But it's small. Maybe there's five or ten people there that are just kind of, meh, I don't hear what this guy has to say. But you know who's there? You know who's there at the entrance? It's Jesus. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, come. Come this way. Come on. What's that for you? What are those two rooms? If you're like me, whether you've been a Christian your entire life, whether you're not even a Christian yet, and you're just here thinking about it, let's call a spade a spade. That Mizzou arena, that's enticing. Who wouldn't want the respect of that many people? Who wouldn't want to be sought after? Who wouldn't want to be thought of as, gosh, we are somebody? Realistically, who wants to go to a half third-filled room with people who could care less if you're there or not? So, So is it worth it? Is it worth it to go to that small room? Jesus is there, but is it really worth it? Well, here's the deal. In my experience, I've been, I've been a Christian now for almost 11 years. Despite the hardships, despite the pain, despite the annoyances, in the lives of people that I've seen and loved and befriended, despite the hardships they've been through, I think it's worth it to choose that smaller room. I think it's worth it to choose the path that Jesus is on for two reasons. Two reasons. Here's the first. When Jesus is with us on that path, that path has purpose. That path has purpose, no matter what it is. Romans 8.28. We have Bible's greatest hits. Great things about this verse. Pay attention to this phrase. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those called according to his purpose. Romans 11.36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. All things means all things. Every path, no matter how narrow, how wide, how weird, how painful, how outrageous it might seem, there's meaning. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And quite honestly, that doesn't mean that we're always going to know why we're on it. But what this is saying is that every single path has purpose because Jesus is on it. There's a guy named William Breitbart. He's a renowned psychiatrist at a hospital in New York, uh, specializes in end-of-life care for terminally ill patients. This is a guy who has been with hundreds and even thousands of patients when they're ready to die. He made an observation once about these patients. He says, when I walk in the room, my patients would say, I only have three months to live. If that's all I have, I see no value or purpose to living. I see no value or purpose to living. It's pretty sad, isn't it? Let's empathize a little bit. I, I don't know what I would say or do if I got cancer and I was on my deathbed. But let's, let's be honest, that's sad to think that there's no purpose for that suffering. Are they right? 
I would humbly submit that just because we can't understand the purpose of our path doesn't mean there isn't one out there. I say that because God says that. It's in Romans 5, starting in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Stop and think about that. What? Rejoicing in sufferings? Are we living on a different planet here? We rejoice in sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. What purpose could be found in suffering? Well, the Apostle Paul thinks suffering might produce hope in us, hope that our trials and our hardships and our pains and our annoyances and the things we'd rather not do aren't meaningless. Hope that there's a reason we're going through this. Let me tell the story of another cancer patient. Some of you know Colleen Lully. It's Andrew Lully's wife. Her first year on staff, she went to the doctor. She had a really bad cough, took x-rays, found out there was a baseball-sized tumor in her chest, and it was lymphoma, and she had cancer. By the grace of God, she went through treatment. She's been cancer-free ever since. That is fantastic. She gave a talk a few years ago about kind of the lessons, the purpose that she saw through that. Remember those other cancer patients? Now listen to Colleen's story. I think the main purpose of my cancer was to give me a reality check. I was forced into having a perspective of eternity that I wouldn't have had otherwise. I had to ask myself if I believed what it said in Romans, that God is working all things together for my good. I had to think about it and be very real with myself and with God. In the end, God was very faithful in my prayers and tears in helping me to answer with an overwhelming Yes, I do believe that God is good. I believe his word and his promises to me. That's a very different ending. And you know why? Because Colleen was faithful. She walked with Jesus. She endured that path. And that's what happened on that path. She found purpose. I'm not sure what you're going through. It might not be as something as serious as cancer, but it's still hard. Would you rather be on that path knowing there's no meaning? Would you rather be on that path knowing, you know what, even though I don't know, even though I can't see it right now, I'm going to trust, I have to trust, please, God, let there be some sort of meaning. It doesn't change the path. Which one do you want? I know which one I want. Because the path has purpose, we need to remain on the path. We need to stick with an average path, a less than ideal path. Stay in that exact position in your fraternity or sorority. Keep serving in that ministry. Stay friends. Keep reaching out to that friend who's quite honestly a black hole of endless need. They just keep draining and draining and draining. Stick it out. Be a good friend. Remember, you're on a path for that purpose, whether you see it or not. Secondly, because that path has purpose, we've got to help others dream what that purpose might be. You know, if you've ever been on a difficult path, you know that you have no capacity to see the big picture. You're just trying to make it through the month, through the week, through the day. You can't think about purpose. You don't have time. This is why we need other people. We need other people to help us dream. So if you see somebody going down a hard path, gently, humbly come alongside them over a cup of coffee say, hey, I know you're fighting well. Here's what I see. If that were me, I'm looking for something. I need that. So help others dream, slowly but surely. Maybe help them think about how do you, help, how do you pull those blinders back. It's worth it to stay on that path with Jesus because he gives us purpose. But it's also worth it because when Jesus is with us, we're wanted. When Jesus is with us, we are 
wanted. Have you ever been somewhere where you know you're not wanted? Doesn't that suck? Isn't that so shameful? Have you ever done something or not done something where you know, sorry, you're not, you're not wanted here? That's painful. We're trying our best. We put ourselves out there, and we're told, no thanks, doors shut in our face. That sucks. Now, take that picture. Contrast it with what Jesus says to his disciples before he's about to go to the cross. John 14, 1 to 2. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, here we go. What I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. We mentioned this last week. We're going down to, to Passion 2018 in Atlanta. It's great. We're looking forward to it. You can sign up tonight. Plug. Uh, but one of the things we've got to do, one of the things I've been doing is I've been calling ahead. I'm calling a hotel, and I'm reserving a block of rooms. We are anticipating your presence. If you're not there, we're going to notice. How much more with Jesus? Think about this. Jesus is looking over his roster. He says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Troy doesn't have a room. Marissa doesn't have a room. Chad doesn't have a room. X doesn't have a room. This is not right. We've got to stop everything. We need to make a room. Somebody make the bed. Somebody clean out the bathroom. I want them there. How many of you have found this? Do you have this? Do you know how amazingly refreshing and freeing this is? Do you know the peace that it brings? But it gets even better. It gets better because when someone really wants you, really cares for you, really loves you, you know what they do? They get involved in your crap. They make your problems their problems. If you are hurt, they are hurt. And they take it personal. This, this doesn't always happen. There's a congressman, well-known congressman in, in Virginia. He, he's, for the last 30 years, been going to different places in the world and talking with people who are persecuted, who feel abandoned. Somebody asked him, a reporter asked him, do you feel like these people think that the West, particularly the American church, has abandoned them? You know what his response was? Absolutely. He's talked to these nuns from Iraq who pointed out that half the Christians in Iraq have been dispersed. They're living in different countries. Nobody seems to care. Coptic Christians in Egypt. You heard about the, the uh, bombing on Good Friday. They're being persecuted there. They can't get jobs in the government. They can't join the military. And they say, they wonder why the church in the West has abandoned us. In Sudan, since 2011, 2.1 million people in southern Sudan have been killed because of war. A lot of them Christians. One of those women who fled, came and sat in this congressman's office, said this, the West seems more interested in whales than us. The West seems more interested in whales than us. You want to talk about feeling abandoned. Never with Jesus. Never with Jesus. Acts 9, story of Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road. Now as he went on his way, he's called Saul in this passage, soon to be Paul. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Paul's on his way to Damascus. He has been given the authority to make life hell for these new Christians. He's going to seek out these cells. He's going to throw people in prison. He's going to oversee, like he's already done, murders. Think a little bit of ISIS. He's on his way to do that. Here's the deal. Is he persecuting Jesus? No. 
He's persecuting people. He's persecuting Christians. Where's Jesus? Well, Jesus died and rose and ascended probably about 10 or 15 years before this. What, why does Jesus say it? Notice what he says again. Why are you persecuting me? What does this mean? Well, here's what it means. It means Jesus wants us so badly. He wants his people so badly, loves his people so much that their problems are his problems. When one is hurt, he is hurt. An attack on one is an attack on all. Paul has pissed off Jesus. Excuse my French. That's a problem. Where else are you going to find this fierce loyalty and devotion? What other path has that? I can tell you, none. This is the path that Jesus invites us on. But it gets even better. He doesn't prepare rooms for good people who have done him good, expressed goodwill. He doesn't go to bat for people who are doing good in the world. He does this for sinners, for people who envy, who people who spit on him and put him on that cross, people like you and people like me. Romans 5, verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were still envying, in the very act of wanting and craving and demanding to be on that path, and saying, screw you, God, I don't love the path that I'm on, he died for us. He remembered you and me. He got involved in our mess. He wants us. He wants us. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to close with one more story. I know, <laughs> I know how important it is that my children wear shoes. Okay, let the record show. I know shoes are important. They protect their little feet. They're kind of cute sometimes. They need them. Okay? But three days ago, Easter Sunday, as I arrived at church, I pulled into the parking lot. I said, all right, Tyler, get out and put your shoes on, which you don't have because I forgot. So we went to Easter service. My son had no shoes on. Talk about shame. Goodness gracious. You see, in the absolute chaos of trying to get out of the house, trying to get my two little turtles out of the house before 7 a.m., here's what I had to do. I had to negotiate which books they were going to take for the car ride. I had to arrange three different peace trees between the two because they're fighting. I had to tell my son, Tyler, no, you cannot wear a dress, but yes, you can get a donut. No, you cannot get eight pieces of candy. You can have four pieces of candy. Now you wonder why I forgot the shoes. Here's the deal. You just like me. You can laugh all you want, but you forget too. You and me, we forget the important things in life. When chaos that his life hits, the busyness, we forget the most important things. We forget that a heart of peace, a heart at peace, comes from following the path that Jesus is on. We forget that envy enslaves us. We forget the most important things. So how do we remember? What do we do? Remember, We've got the Bible. We've got God speaking to us. And so because that's the case, we have to listen. And then we need to listen. And then we need to listen because God is speaking. Isaiah 55.11 says this, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. Every day that you and I open our eyes, God is speaking. And so we need to listen. And you know what? When we listen, we realize that he's speaking to us, to everyone, black, white, Asian, 
straight, gay, poor, weak, Christian, non-Christian, every person in the world he is speaking to us and he is saying, come. He's on that path saying, come to me. So because of this, we have to listen. We have to read it. We have to study it, not just by ourselves, but when groups discuss it, we need to listen. And when we do that, we're going to be reminded where true contentment is found. It's found on a path with Jesus. So let's follow him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am not content too often. So often I want to go to that Mizzou Arena, whatever it is, where the praise of people, where I'm the center of the story. I know I'm not alone. I know there's lots of us out there who want to be on another path, who envy others. Lord, show us mercy. Give us grace. Remind us of the realities that the path you have for us has purpose. Remind us. Help us feel and experience that we're wanted. That we're cared for. That we're valued. That you look at us despite what we've done to you and you say, yes, I want you. I want that one. Come to me. Help us to focus less on the path and more on the person. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.